want you to imagine for yourself here briefly a world without salt. It would be very different, very different from the world as we know it. Go to the ocean, you don't have that salty taste in the midst of the air. Of course, no seasoning for your meat, your french fries, or your popcorn. What would we do with the, the salt on the, the, the ice outside? Take a lot more work to get all that ice off. Have you ever um, mistakenly purchased unsalted butter? It's very displeasing when you put it on your toast. You don't realize how much salt is in butter until you buy the wrong kind and it tastes totally different. No doubt we recognize the importance of salt in very mundane parts of our life. Salt is good, and the correct amount is even necessary for health. And at the time of Jesus Christ, salt was so precious it was even a commodity. It was used as a sense of currency. And why? Of course, this was the time before refrigeration. And so salt was needed to preserve food. And so in a very real way, enough salt in one's life was the difference between starving and surviving in a way that we don't quite grasp today. Salt gives taste to what is bland. It preserves something from rotting. It's as essential in Jesus' time as bread and water is. And so Jesus is a good teacher. And so he takes up this item of daily life that everybody would be very, very familiar with, and he uses it to teach us a spiritual lesson. And he does it in somewhat of an unexpected way. There's an unexpected turn. You know, usually he draws the attention to himself. I am the light of the world. But here in the gospel this morning, he does something different. He directs it outward. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Our Christian lives are supposed to be modeled on Christ. Everything we do is to be a mirror of Christ. We are to be Christ-like, and so we are to appear to be salt of the earth and light of the world. Of course, Jesus is the light, but don't we radiate that same life, that same light? Our lives should. And if they don't, there's, there's something off. So I want to take this image of salt, this image that the Lord took up, and draw out a few characteristics from it that should help direct our lives. So the first thing about salt, it's a preservative. It's a preservative. Salt prevents things from going rancid. And for 2,000 years, the church has fought to preserve, to elevate the good of society. We're all sinners. And we're all tempted to take the easier route, to cut corners, to abandon our responsibilities. So the church, as the salt of the earth, strives to preserve good things. It fights against slavery, corruption, poverty, violence. 
the death of the innocent, the breakdown of the family. It wants to preserve the good of culture. There's an ancient writer who's very helpful with, uh, with, with this. Uh, his name is Josephus. Josephus was an ancient Jewish historian. Uh, he's a Jewish man, and he lived in the first century, and he just writes about what life was like in the first century. He's not particularly attempting to chronicle anything religious, but we can read back uh, his historical writings to see what was life like at the time of Jesus at the time of the earliest Christians. Josephus wrote that much of the salt of the ancient world came from the city of Magdala. Now, we're familiar with that city because uh, it's the hometown of Mary Magdalene. But he writes that it's here in this town that fish were salted and then sent away as far as the markets of Rome to be sold. I think there's something in that. Fish, of course, the very earliest symbol of Christianity. And he says here, they're they're salted in the Holy Land, and then they're sent as far away to the markets of Rome. They're sent to the center, the heart of the Roman Empire. In the Holy Land, things then radiated throughout the world, preserved, salted in the Holy Land. I think that's a great image of Christian influence, that we go out to the world to preserve it. So that's the first, the preservative quality of salt. Here's another. Of course, it gives flavor. It's a spice. It animates something. But it does it in a very specific way. When you eat good food, you actually shouldn't taste the salt. Salt actually, when seasoned properly, it enters into the food. Salt only improves the flavor when it's within the food. It's more like leaven. It enhances what's already there. And that's why when Christianity penetrated the Roman Empire, it elevated what was already good in the empire. So it took, for example, Roman art and architecture, and it adopted those techniques and enhanced them. It took Roman art and architecture and then used those techniques to build the grand cathedrals of Europe. It took its Latin language and then amplified it to produce these great masterpieces of Western literature. It took music of the ancient world. Those who study music know that almost all all ancient music is religious liturgical music. It took that science of, of tones and harmonies and then produced these just stellar music that we still sing today in the liturgy. Higher education, as we know it today, is a product of the Catholic Church, seeking to infuse within the culture wisdom, intellectual rigor. All of the ancient universities of Europe began as Catholic institutions. 
many of them seminaries that wanted to train the clergy to teach the people. But that was the church's instinct to, to infuse the culture with intellectual rigor. This is what salt does. It enters into the food and then enhances the flavor. And this is why the Christian voice, our voice, is always a positive influence in the public square. The idea that a citizen who lives his faith vibrantly and transparently and openly should be silent on the issues of public policy, that's a mistake. It's a mortal mistake. It's also unconstitutional, but that's a different homily. Christianity contains the salt of life, the salt of concord. It contains the salt of the dignity of the human person. And all of those things contribute to a society. So we should learn about our faith. We should grow, study. It should animate our life. And then we should go out to infuse that into the culture. Christianity elevates us. It doesn't shackle us. It elevates who we are. And it liberates society. It, it disposes us to human flourishing. It's the Roman, the ancient Roman Empire that was like degrading the human person of slavery and infanticide. And then Christianity gets infused into that culture and it flourishes. The third quality, the final quality, is the reality that salt can go bad. If it loses its taste, its flavor, if it gets wet, it's good for nothing. In Jesus' own words, he says, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If salt loses its flavor, you can't re-season it with anything. It's worthless. And so this is, it's a warning from the Lord. By nature of our baptism, we are commissioned, commanded to go out and season the world, to offer it a vision of, of, a, of living at a higher pitch. But if we've lost our fervor, if we've lost our devotion to the Lord, that's just a very distressing, displeasing thing. When one's academic pursuits squeeze out one's devotion to the Lord, that's a problem. You actually, it actually dehumanizes you, even. The flavor of your life has been lost, and its beauty has been replaced by something very mundane. The supernatural has been sidelined for the natural. Heaven replaced with earth. Vocation replaced with a career. It's tragic. It's very common, but it's very tragic when we lose the spice of our baptismal call. This morning's gospel comes from what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel. 
And we're right near the beginning. The first passage was actually supposed to be last week, the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. But last week was February 2nd. So we had the presentation on that day. And those readings take precedence over the fourth Sunday. Last week was the Beatitudes. That's the first thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So this was the second part of it. This little episode about salt and light. Over these next weeks, we're going to work through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6, and 7, passage by passage by passage. This is the heart of Jesus' message. It's everything condensed into three chapters. It's very compelling. It's very dense. It's very challenging. And very even provocative, you might say. For us who've heard this for 2,000 years, it, it, we don't quite get the, the provocation of it. You know, when Jesus said, you know, forgive your enemies, like that was explosive because you lived at a time when it was eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So these sorts of things that occur in the Sermon on the Mount were a very challenging, very a controversial vision of life that Jesus was offering for the world. And so when we come to Mass each week, we're going to get more and more of this sermon that Jesus made on the side of a mountain. And today we get this image of, of salt, that one, it's a preservative. The second is that it's seasoned, it gives flavor to life. But then the third thing is that cautionary tale. You've got to persist. You've got to have fortitude. It's tough to live this way. But when you do, it's, it's, a, it's a life well lived. It's a life at a higher pitch. It's a beautiful life, and it's compelling to those around you. Live out your baptismal call vibrantly. Be the salt of the world.